You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this episode is with JFDR of Iceland. This episode is particularly special because it highlights what I love about New York City. This city is a place where you could fall over for record in February and find yourself spontaneously talking to the record's creator in October, which is what transpired between me and JFDR. Her album, Brazil, is one of the standout releases that came out this year. It's a beautiful record that both soothes and challenges the listener, and it's also a record I found myself constantly returning to throughout this year. She's been living in New York on and off between tours, and while having some downtime, I linked up with her to discuss how her beautiful album came to be. This is the 405 Exchange with JFDR. Enjoy. Hiding all my love and giving, receiving When they're back, I'll continue my strain So, tell me when exactly did music start for you? Because I think what's amazing about reading about you is it's almost impossible to pinpoint. It feels like music has quite literally been your entire life. Um... I think maybe in a way it has been. I, I started doing, I started making recordings with my sister when we were 11 years old. As a kind of, um, as a, just a fun activity, I guess. Yeah. And uh, we started a band called Pascal Pinon when we were 14. It kind of officially started. And we were playing gigs and doing, doing the thing. And, um, and then it just kind of gradually took over, I guess. It's been... It's been a part of me. It's so hard, it's so, I have to admit, it's so hard to say when something starts or how it starts. Yeah. But I come from a musical family and, um, and it's always been around. I wonder though, like even when you come from a musical family, do you feel like when you're that young and you're making music, you feel aware, conscious of what you're doing? Or does not it feel at all. Conscious, really? It's so not conscious. And also being in a band and being so young and, and playing in, in bars and places you're not allowed to be in, it's like <laughs> the whole time you never, you, we never perceived it as anything unusual and we, we, were, we were annoyed when we were asked for IDs at bars and we were annoyed <laughs> when I just said, well, my mom is right there, she's with me, blah, blah, blah. And, and you kind of, you, we took it for granted and it's not until afterwards that I kind of have, have felt, oh, that is really strange. <laughs> and it is really sweet and this, and I kind of, I, mean, I kind of wish I had, enjoyed a little bit more in that sense or maybe pushed for it in a way I don't know it's hard to say but what, what do you mean when you put it that way do you feel like back to, even back then you were probably always thinking about it? maybe not as a career but as like the thing you're doing pushing yourself forward mm, I guess more musically it was such a tender incredibly tender sound of my my, my voice and my sister's voice and this kind of how they work together and it's um, there's a real beautiful softness to it that that we ha- we still have in some ways, but it was just so pure and so weird, and and I think I I just guess I wish I had kind of um, not. It took me a little time to kind of accept it, I guess. 
Yeah. I think at the time you take it, you take it for granted, and you're just doing it, and then you you get older, and you think, like, geez, that was lame. And then now I'm kind of coming back and thinking, like, it was actually really special. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see you here with uh, GFDR. Mm. I said that correctly. I was so afraid I was going to put oh. the D in the F. <laughs> no. I was, was going to switch that by mistake because I've been familiar with Pascal Pignon for a couple of years, and when I heard about this project earlier this year, I want to say it was around February or March. I just remember thinking, like, oh, cool, she's doing like something different. Mm. And then listening to music, it's like, okay, well, different is an understatement. Right, right, right. Obviously, for people who listen to music, we can find ourselves distinguishing what's different and what's not from like listening to it. But mm. you, as the creator, do you feel it's even possible for you to do that? For like, me? Does this project feel so different to you than what you were previously doing? No, it feels very same. Really? <laughs> yes, I think because the, the I don't necessarily. I mean, it is different. But for me, essentially, they, the songs they come from the same place and they come from the same intention and they come from sitting in, in quiet and, and making something that is, is, a, is partly therapeutic processing things and also you know being creative and, and having fun and enjoying yourself and then also trying to share something or trying to express some kind of a, an emotion or some kind of truth or some kind of beauty and, and, and what I was doing with Pascal Pinon when I would write these songs is exactly the same process as I do with JFDR. But it, but then it's the aftermath. It's how you present it and how you yeah. bring it to the studio and who you work with. And and for me, it is really different because Pascal Pinon is a unit that is me and my sister. And it's very um, and because it's two people and we are very different, what we often would end up with, and especially on the latest album, was um, almost no production. <laughs> we kind of we felt almost incapable of of producing the music because we couldn't agree on things and and it ended up being an album that was completely different to how I wanted it yeah. but at the same time I was working on my solo record yeah. where I could have so much freedom and so much space yeah. and I was completely in charge well I want to go a little backwards because it's really interesting to hear you say that because I felt like I picked up on that within uh, the last Pascal Pignon record particularly the lack of like, the lack of production it felt mm. very bare but within a way of where it felt immediate. Like I could feel like you guys, you two were coming up with these ideas and putting them out right away mm. and then making it. With, with what you just said about the aspect of production not being a prominent fixture, is that something you feel like you were aware of in the making of it? Or was it after you listened Absolutely. to it? Absolutely. Really? I hated it. I hated that album for so long. Because <laughs> it was Did not, because it was not the album that I wanted it to be, which is a, a very, it's a very common thing that people do. <laughs> it's just that you kind of have a reality and you have a ground and you hold on to it. Yeah. And you're not able to kind of be as flexible and as fluid in, in your ways. And, um, and I had to learn that the hard way that, that it hurts a lot when you hold on to something that doesn't exist. That must be such a tough, <laughs> like a, a weird thing to go through considering just what it is you're doing. Because like with music, you're expelling your experiences and your observations and your feelings. Mm. And to not feel so at peace with what you're doing, that must feel quite strange. Yeah, it was really hard. There was, there were so many moments where I gave up and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And you have like all these meltdowns, and then you'll go, okay, pick it up again. It's like, and it, and then and because it was with my sister, it was so intense. Um, but our dad was such a a, a kind of strong, um, a strong person in this in this situation because he would say, you know, you should do this because of Lala. He would kind of reason with me and reason with my sister, and and he was the one who helped me when when I was exhausted and, and, you know, he kind of, he was there. And it was, yeah. and it was really thanks to him that this album happened. That's <laughs> and, I, and I've said that to him and I've said that a few times and it's, you know, it was, it, 
we needed that. We needed someone else to come in and say, okay, things are gonna be okay. Just we just do it like this, and we and I'll yeah. show you, you know, and I'll help you and be there. And he ended up kind of producing the record with us. He was That's in the studio, amazing. engineered it, and and um and kind of assisted us along the way. I want to touch back a little bit on something that you pointed out. It's it's been sticking in my head since you said it. It was in regards to what you said about GFDR and when you were starting to write because you said the word fun in there. Mm-hmm. And I feel it's really interesting. And I mean this in the most respectful ways, but I'm sure some people listen to the record, Brazil, and find it to be very contemplative and very stark in some ways. But I think for some people listening, they might be like, oh, she was having fun making this, so that's good. Like, oh yeah, I had so much fun. Really? It was such a revelation. I was, um, I kind of got into doing the JFDR stuff because of Shazad Ismaili, who produced it. And he's a producer based here in New York, and, um, and an instrumentalist, and, um, and just and a mixing engineer, and he's an incredible musician, really sensitive and really intuitive. And um, and he came to me and said, "Do you think I think you should do a solo album? I think you should be a solo artist." And that, up until that point, until that force came into my life, someone I admire and respect, um, I had never seen myself as a solo artist. I'd always seen myself as a band person. So I needed someone else to come in and say, "Like, I I want you to do this. I, w- I think you should do this." Yeah. And I thought that was so. You know, I would have probably eventually gotten there, but it would have taken me so many more years. And I would never have had the experience that I, that I had making Brazil. Um, but it was, it was so much fun throughout the whole time. I mean, Shazad is crazy. He's ridiculous. He's the best and he's the worst and he's everything in between. And, and there would be days where we had the studio booked and we didn't do any work. We were just, you know, <laughs> bouncing around and doing other things. Really? And, but it all made sense in this incredible organic flow because there was no, like, we knew we were making a record. But we didn't know when it was going to be ready. We didn't know how we were going to finish it. We didn't know who was going to work on it. We didn't know anything. And it took us two years to do it. Two whole years? Two years, but very spread out. Yeah, you know, like on and off and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I imagine the times you were working on it would be quite, I don't want to say the word intense, but I imagine in regards to, well, probably not in how you describe it. I was going to say like probably the, the fixture of the album was so prominent within your mind, but I guess it was not. It was a lot more liberating than that. It was just, it flowed. And I think it's something that's really remarkable. It's impossible to recreate it. And I feel that now making a second album is like, you know you're never gonna do something that it was as effortless and as kind of, um, as an experience was as uh, liberating as that album. It's interesting though, because you say effortless, but I feel like people, some people who might not be familiar with how albums are made would hear two years and go like, that's effortless. It's a hassle. <laughs> but, but do you feel in a way when you look back that like you needed that time? Like, it needed that yeah. much time to cultivate to what it is? Oh, yeah. yeah. It wouldn't have been possible to do it in a month. I mean, time-wise, we probably took a month to do it. It blows me away, because, like, I think what really stuck with me with listening to the album, the, the, I still remember my first experiences listening to, listening to the album, and I think what I immediately found myself struck by, along with all the instrumentation and the way you were singing, was just how blown away I was that there was nothing, there was no fat to trim. Like, mm-hmm. everything felt it was... Everything felt like it served, the next song felt like it served the next song, and it felt like everything worked mm. together in a unit, like a binded force. And mm. I mean, that, I, that must have been deliberate to some degree, and how you wanted the songs to correlate with one another. We chose the, the order at the very last minute, kind yeah. of. It was one of the last days in the studio. Um, I mean, things got more intense. You know, when, you, when we saw there was a p- kind of final picture and we had enough songs and we had enough sounds, we, we were working gradually towards mixing it and then we would do these mixes and we'd go back and do it again. And it was like a whole process and it got more intense as we saw the bigger picture. Um, at the beginning, it's very abstract. 
Um, but then my, my dear friend, Aush Stefane, Icelandic artist and poet and musician, um, she, it was this hilarious situation where we sat down in the studio. It was me and Ashta and Shazad and Phil who mixed the record. We were in the listening in the listening room at Figure Eight, and um, and we would play the song to her. She, I'd, I'm not sure if she had heard them. Maybe she had a few times, or, or maybe not at all. But um, she would say she would sit there, listen to it, and just say number six. She has this really soft voice, yeah. and then we'd be, <laughs> and then we would start laughing about like, why number six. It just feels like number six, and then she'd say number two or number seven. She would say, and then she would have these like numbers, and I would write them down. That's and then amazing. at the end of the at the end of the thing, we had like a sequence. And I was like, yeah, that feels like a number seven. And all the songs had their own kind of number. Yeah. And it was about how the number worked with the song, and it was like this hilarious, funny. It, like she just knew. She said number two or number eight, and she, had, yeah. you know, it was like this perfect thing. Because imagine within the moment, you're probably thinking like, oh, that's like you're like, okay, that's cool. But then it's like after when you place it together, you're like, oh wow, this like worked. Wow. It, I mean, it worked for sure. <laughs> I mean, she's a she's a bit of a she knows, she knows, she's connected to something. I don't know what it is. It's really beautiful. But she really is. I want to touch on this a little bit more, particularly this experience that you had with listening to the album, because something that I found myself thinking immediately after I listened to it. And I don't know why, to be honest. I guess we'd explore this a little bit, but I feel like it's an album where there's so much going on, yet everything's working in tandem with each other that I found myself thinking, like, what was it like for the artist who made this to listen to it when it was mm. all done, when all the songs were together and you got to go to the album? Do you remember the experience we got to listen to it front to back for the first time? No, I don't remember that. Maybe. Probably because you listened to all the songs 50 million times before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sure did. Sure yeah. did. It took a while. We had many listening parties, and we were, because um, the studio was also quite new, and what Shazad would do is he would talk to people, and he would invite them over to come and, and, and have a look, and take them on a tour around the space, and, and it wouldn't, and it would be musicians coming in all the time, and they would, some of them would listen, and we'd play them a song we're working on, and it was, and they would share some thoughts, and then um, it would go, it would go like this a lot. There was a lot of time that was spent on inviting people to the, to the, to, like, to listen and to share it with them and, and to hear what they had to say. But he would also just invite strangers that he would meet on the street and he would invite, he would invite the people working at the cafe next door and it was like, you know, it was like this hilarious, um, kind of openness, which is beautiful. And, and we had so many listening parties where we invited people, I think maybe three or four, where we invited people to come over and we would listen to the whole thing through. And it was rough mixes and it was, um, you know, it was, it was not finished. And, um, and, we, and some of the people, I don't know, some of them came many times. <laughs> I wonder though, as an artist, does it feel like there's a necessary form of surrender in doing that? Because I could imagine that there's stages where songs are in places where you very much don't want people to hear them. But mm -hmm. then to be put in a situation like that, it's almost like you have to allow yourself to be okay with the situation. Was it kind of like that for you? I think it's very healthy, yeah. yeah. I, I don't remember having negative feelings about it. I remember feeling a lot of gratitude for the people who came and listened. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure there was a moment when I was a little bit scared. Of, and I remember I was incredibly frightened of showing Shazad the songs for the first time. I would come in yeah. and I would be very shy and I would have a song and I'd say, what do you think about this? And it would be like, you know, yeah. it was so small and it was so new. And, and, and then he ended up really embracing that and embracing what it is. And, and he showed me so much guidance and, and so much love 
and and now I think he has also kind of yeah taught me how to kind of how to be um, or I, mean, I don't know you surely you must feel this way as an artist as artist yourself but you you kind of feel like you need this acceptance or you need someone to tell you that your work is good like you, yeah. need, you need some kind of affirmation um, I, I no completely I mean I'll, I'll explore this with you I'll, I would say it's definitely true and I feel that what's difficult with being an artist is that you find yourself you, you recognize what that desire is, but mm. you feel like it almost goes against with what being an artist is. At least that's how I've felt sometimes. So sometimes I've had that desire and that need. That I'll try to quiet it down and be like, I don't need affirmation. But then when it comes, mm. it's like a rush of a realization of how much you actually do. Where it's like, because we talked about it in the roof, we did photos of the roof briefly, and uh, we talked about like how it could feel, it's very easy to feel like your work exists in a vacuum. It's mm. not until someone recognizes what you're doing where you realize how true that is. It's a special thing, and it, and it also kind of it annoys me. <laughs> it annoys me that that's how you that that's how you operate, and and I wish that we didn't have this. Um, but um, I learned a lot from this making this album, and I definitely learned that um, to kind of have have well, to listen to my own my own voice and my own sense of self. And it's it's something that I still definitely struggle with. It's like you know you need to make decisions constantly, and also when you're running this operation, you go on tour and you're and you're hiring people to come with you, and you need to have clear instructions and boundaries, and you need to have a clear system. It's one of the hardest things I find is sometimes to just be very direct and very clear about this is what we're gonna do. Yeah. Because there's a fear of making a mistake, and there's a fear of hurting people, or there's a fear of upsetting people. And it's a very basic thing. Um, and we all have it, of course. It's but true. I, I, I find that one of the hardest things is like, you know, no one is telling you when you do a good job. Yeah. Not really, you know, or yeah. even even if you hear it, you don't necessarily hear it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, there's like a grind, and you're going all around, and you're t you're trying to earn a living, and you're also trying to share something and experience something, and, and um, but it's free flow. It's like there no, you don't have a boss, not really, and you don't have um, and you don't have. It's not like you're in school, and you can you have a grade. Someone yeah. marks like, oh, you did you did really well, well done. It's like the only one who can tell you how you did is you. And then you have to be really tapped into, okay, you have to check in with yourself and say, like, is this too much? Am I too tired? Or am I, do I feel good? Is, you know, am I able to do this next thing? Do I really want to? Is it worth it? You know, all these things you have to check in. At the same time, while trying to stay true to your creative spirit, which is not an easy task whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. I want to jump a little deeper into the album because it's definitely an album I've talked to quite a bit to people in my life. Mm. And... I mean this and like this is probably one of the highest compliments I feel like I give a musician but like I found myself in the middle of talking to people about your record mm. and then them asking me what it sounds like and me honestly not knowing how to describe it yeah, there's yeah. different words I'll use but in terms of correlating it with something as a reference I don't feel like I could do it I always tell people that it's a beautiful record you just have mm. to hear it like that's all you need to know that this is beautiful music and there's something to hear yeah like I talked to you, you about the roof about this a little bit, but tell me about um, Dust Days Upon Us, because that's a very, that's a tune. <laughs> right. That's also Aaron's favorite song. Aaron, who lives here next door. Yeah. Um, he, it's a song um, that demands you to listen to it. That's what I like to say about it. <laughs> the name came because, well, it's my sister's. She, desi she decided, well, we had this thing where I was called Charity and she was called Destiny. <laughs> um, I like that. And then uh, we did the song. It's, it, it's basically this little Casio keyboard. I, I could even show you later. On. It's um, it's a little Casio keyboard that I bought for five dollars or something on the street. 
Yeah. And then uh, it has like it has all these different beats and rhythms, and if you slow it down a lot, you get this this rhythm. And um, and we recorded it, and then recorded those chords. They're just a loop, and I was singing on top, and then and then there's this kind of laser sound. I don't remember like yeah. that's also just a, if you have a Casio that exists on a on so many of those Casios. Yeah, yeah. But there was a real magic that happened. That was the last song that we finished on the record, and um, very very last song. Yeah. And um, what happened was there's there's only one session that I was not a part of. In, in person, mm -hmm. which was um, a drummer from Canada came over to the studio called Phil Melanson. Um, and he um, is a jazz drummer. And I told Shazad that I was really into these fast hi-hats. Oh. So Shazad got him to kind of produce a version of the song himself, Phil. Yeah. I don't know if this is interesting at all anyway. It's kind of it's no, a little it's bit <laughs> going into the technical details. But yes. we got this guy Phil to come in and do a session in December. And then I came back to New York in March last year. For the for the last final mixing session, and Shazad couldn't attend the session. It was also one. Of, it was the only song that he didn't have a final input on. He worked with Phil, and they did like a layered bunch of stuff. And um, and then me and Phil Weinrobe, who mixed the record, we were together. Like, okay, we have all these different tracks from Shazad. What are we gonna do? And we laid it out on the board on the on the console. And I would tell Phil, okay, now we need to have this. And I would kind of explain how I how I wanted it to go. And, and Phil, he, what he did to the, to the beat, the Casio beat, was that he ran it through a vocoder. So it had so much body, had so much thickness, and had a real like... That's and then he, he was running things, things back and forth from all these different uh, hardware uh, analog, you know, uh, things. And I don't, I don't even know what half of them were, but there was, a, there was an incredible noise yeah. that happened, and it was a mistake. We were both sitting there listening to this like, crazy loud overdrive noise. Is and that kind of like the scratching bit at the end, the kind of receding? Yeah, it's like the last thing that comes in, it's like, and yeah. it goes lower, and, it, and that was a complete mistake, and we, we held on to it, and then um, it became a, a huge part of the song. And then we kind of, we just, we just drew it in. We drew in these little drops, and, and it was like, now we throw in this, and now comes the beat, and, and it has a, as you know, it has a real slow buildup, yeah. but a real, you know, high highs and, and smaller lows, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we, we kind of just like painted it, I guess. It was like a, a real nice um, organic thing that we had. This is your session. song. Like, that's crazy. Like, that all sounds like alchemy, practically. But what we did was that we ran everything through the Neve console. So we would do, we would do prints, like old style. And oh. we, had all the, we, had, we had it in the box, but we would just do different takes of, of the mix. And we would you know, like just write it in and out, um, the fades and whatever not we were doing. Um, so we had to get it right, and we had to practice a few times to get it wow. exactly right. And I remember that was a huge part of making the record, was the mixing process was like that. Like we were all doing takes, and we had to borrow people to get their fingers and you know come That's in. That's amazing. That was real fun. You know, something I particularly love about this track too is that I'm a very visual person, as I'm sure you are as well. And I, what I love so much about the Destiny is that it has such a fitting video to it. Yeah, and that was a random one. Yeah. How, well, I'm curious. Well, that's what I want to ask you next. I'm curious, like, what was it like making that video? But also, was it like watching it after it was done? Because I feel like it very much speaks to the song. But do you it feel? It like does. I'm actually not a visual person at all. Really? And I get, yeah. I, I mean, I know what I like, and I'm, and I can kind of work with people who are making stuff. But I never come up with concepts. Not really. I've, we did one video that was my concept. Um, but I would always just say to someone. Can you make a video? Here's a song. What do you want to do? And then this guy Mike, who is friends with Aaron, who lives here, um, 
as a director, and he, he was kind of bouncing some ideas, and I said, you know, there has to be something red. The song has to be, there has to be some element of, of red. And this thing, actually, that we're looking at right here, yeah. my friend Monica made, that I wore in the video. Oh, wow. That's the same thing? On the, yeah, on, the, on, on my neck. Um, yeah, we just, it was just Mike. He did this thing. He said, we should go up, at, get up at sunrise. So I woke up at 4 a.m. and I was so grilled. And, um, and then we drove out to Manhattan Beach and it was kind of, it was real, it was real weird. It was a little bit awkward in a wonderful way. And we yeah, kind yeah. of didn't really talk. And then he was like, okay, go. And then we just did it. My friend Slugs was there too. She's, she had the, yeah, I was just, I don't even remember. We just did it, I guess. It was also it kind of one of those things. It has a feeling to it because it feels very dreamy-like, but like sleepwalking. Like, I almost mm. felt like you were sleepwalking because then you woke up sleepy. at 4 o'clock. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, so a lot of regards to that. And it was, we, we only had like a, a window of seven minutes or something when the sun started off pitch dark and then it came. And oh, then, so it's, it's so like real time. Yeah, we could only do it once. Oh, bloody hell. And then we did We went back and did it again. But um, we, we liked the, the first take much more. What was it like to watch it when it was done? Like, what, do you remember like what you thought or? Yeah, it was like cool. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I, I, mean, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I, I could imagine everyone. I probably should not say that. Because I'm picturing everyone being around you in the room, just going like, "What are you gonna say?" And just you kind of go for your thumbs up, like, "This is good, guys." Uh, he just sent me the link and was like, "Great, let's put it on YouTube." I don't know. It doesn't have to be such an overthought thing. I think it's nice to do sometimes you know, bigger productions or have more detailed visuals or, yeah. you know, but it's not really my, I don't know, that's not really my stuff. Well, I feel like as a creative, it's like what we kind of always want. We want it to be fast and loose and just kind of like, we want there to be thought behind it, but not thought that consumes every facet of us. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, and I, I see it, some people do this, they do work that's very very specific and very detailed and yeah very meticulous yeah i never really liked that <laughs> <laughs> i think it works for this particular project uh especially when i think about a song like wires like mm, yeah yeah i want to hear it because you know it's interesting i feel let me think yeah that was the first song i heard in regards to your project mm. and i've noticed it seems to be a track that a lot of people have gravitated towards mm. tell me about that song what's the story behind i it find about? people who are music lovers they love that song really yeah I thought say I'm a music lover, inadvertently sitting here talking to a musician. Yeah, no, I, I bet you're a music lover. I think people who, um, people who, well, I, I just noticed that around myself, but I think it was one of the first songs where I realized how incredible Shazad is as a producer. He would, I just played the song and it's literally two chords and I had this real gentle melody in it. And I said, I feel like the song could have like a, a beat, I said to him. Yeah. And then he had, sure, whatever, you know. And then he had this, this he made a real stupid dummy beat in Ableton <laughs> and plugged it into the, the console. Yeah. And then he ran it through lots of delays and lots of um, EQs. And, and then suddenly it was this whole opened up world of, of like, uh, like a washy beat that just, and then we recorded just Shaker and that was it. And then what we did was we had, you know, we had the guitar recorded and the, the guitar is going through some effects as well. And then we had the beat and we had it on these two, two channels. And then what we did was literally just voices going through. I recorded the vocals six times, almost whispering. So just like a thick, weird, close, but also kind of washy texture. And then yeah. we just had beat come in and then flipped it and the guitar came in. And then we had the beat come up again. And then that was it and the mix that's on the record was one of the first mixes that we did and we tried to do it again impossible to recreate it 
Whoa. We spent we spent probably a whole day in the studio trying to recreate it. And I have so many notes and 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 try to you know like exactly how something was done and 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 then we realized like that doesn't make us it doesn't make sense. We don't need to. We wow. we we have it here. And it was when I first came to New York to record. That's amazing. Mm. And you mentioned on the roof that the majority of Brazil, I guess all of it, was made here in New York. Yeah, everything except for three songs or something were recorded in Iceland. Was that but on was purpose or by accident? Making it was on purpose. Shazad was building a studio and um, and they, he invited me to come over and then I was able to get some funding from the Icelandic government to come and record and then I just kept coming. You know what I love when you talk about Shazad, like when you, whenever you bring him up, it's just like it must blow you away that you have someone that you clearly care about so much who is within, because albums within what they are, are such tangible collections of time and a moment. Mm. And you have not just this music, but you have this experience in a tangible form with someone you care about deeply, mm. obviously. And all the people that came, you know, and touched this record in one way or another did it with so much love. It's amazing. That's amazing. It's real special, and I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that again. Not that I want to. You should never try to <laughs> You should never try to recreate magic. No, 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 you should not. <laughs> Tell me this, though, because I, cause we talked a little bit about this earlier, about like how you've done a lot of shows this year. Oh, and yeah. to be honest with you, I was kind of... I've been shocked in seeing that because... What blew, and I haven't seen you live yet, I really want to. But it blew me away listening to this album and trying to picture what it must sound in a live setting. Because <laughs> it felt like to me, as you... And I'm going to ask you this. When you were making this, I feel like you weren't thinking about playing shows at all. Like, no. was that even in your mind? No. <laughs> wow. I, I know, the funny thing is, I don't really even play those songs live. Really? I play new songs. Mostly, really? Yeah. <laughs> no way. It's just, when I was That's making it... It's quite a daring it, thing to do, though. I it's mean, already old when it came out, and I just didn't see the point. And I had more songs, and it's just like, things just go on. I don't know. But you're saying this, but I'm more than sure there must be at least one or two times where people have come up to you after shows going like, where's Wires? <laughs> what? Where's... <laughs> no, people don't seem to care that much. Or I don't know. I don't know what it's <laughs> Maybe your audience is very respectful. Hopefully, I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah, we, I saw on, on Instagram, but it's one of the ways that we got connected. Thank you, Instagram, if you're listening. Oh, you're yeah. But um, you were in Asia for quite a bit. Yeah, I went to Hong Kong and Japan. Yeah, were you there playing shows? Or mm -hmm. What was that like? That was, was that the first time? No, no. I've been to both those places before. Wow. Um, it was cool. I love going to Japan. It's weird. In, in a wonderful way. And the audience yeah. is very respectful and very quiet and, and um, very focused. And Hong Kong, I thought I thought it would be different because I've also toured in China and China is like, it's crazy. People are, you know, people are watching TV and they're having food and they're also drinking a beer and they're on their phone and they're playing a Yahtzee and they're also watching a gig. You know, oh, that's wow. how sometimes it gets Jesus. when you go to China. It's like the music is there, but it's not the main focus. Because um, there's not a real... I mean, you get these live houses, they call them live houses. Mm -hmm. like, you get these bars and places that have music and... and people will come there, but in the smaller places, it's not really a culture for, um, or didn't used to be a few years ago, for a culture for um, for going to see live music that much. Um, and we would play gigs in like, I remember we played a gig in a French restaurant in China. Really? Was, and people were having dinner. Wow. <laughs> and it was so strange. And they were still, they listened and they, you know, they, they, they were there, but it, for them it was so normal to just be watching a band and you're eating some French food. Wow. In a really fancy restaurant. There is some, that's some interesting shit there. So weird. <laughs> anyway, I thought somehow this year going to Hong Kong that I might get that similar experience, but I didn't at all. And it was, um, 
It's just some kind of a, a festival that we, that we played in. I mean, it was nice. It was really cool seeing, because uh, I was looking at your like Instagram stories while you were there, and you indulged in so much green tea. It was mm-hmm. really funny seeing that. I got a little bit obsessed with it. A little bit? Is yeah. it your shit? It's a little bit. I want to think it's probably a lot of it. So, so many people have come up to me and been like, are you okay? You know? <laughs> Because I was posting it, and it just became this thing where, whenever I saw a matcha food mm-hmm. situation, I would post it. And I think maybe I just don't post that much. So people kind of got this idea that I was like just going crazy. But it was literally like I sought I, I sought it out, and I posted every single matcha thing that I found. But it was amazing. The people in Japan that also happened to follow my Instagram, yeah, they brought me gifts. There were like all matcha stuff and matcha chocolate and like different strengths. <laughs> have of you had matcha. the matcha ice cream? You definitely have. Oh my it. god, yes. That's Are you kidding me? It's so good. Are you a matcha lover as well? Quite a bit, yeah. Oh, it has to so be, nice. I'm not gonna lie, it has to be, because I had some matcha ice cream a couple weeks ago, it has to be the right amount. Because it was like over, you probably would have loved it. It was like overloaded with matcha. It was like there was no more vanilla ice Where cream. Where did you get it? Uh, it was at, there's this festival that was going on called Meadows, and it was like this, oh, this, this ice cream place called Dough. Ice cream place called Dough. I'm pretty sure it's called Dough. It's not a donut place. No, I, oh, maybe it's Donut Plays Dough and they had ice cream too. There's oh. someone listening now. I love saying this when we do the podcast because sometimes there's always a bit where like I forget the name or something and I always imagine someone <laughs> listening and like, what the fuck is this thing? Yeah, yeah, they can't say <laughs> You can't hear them. Haha, <laughs> person listening, you can't hear us. <laughs> um, I mean, this is definitely a very like, um, it's a very like typical vague question, but like, when you go to a place like Hong Kong and Japan to play music, does that feel life-changing? Like, just the experience of doing that? Because, like... No, not anymore. I think maybe at some point, going abroad and playing music is life-changing. Um, but also, life-changing sounds like a really grand thing. And lots of things change your life and you don't notice. True, it's your more the little moments. Changing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people don't, aren't aware of that within the moment. Mm. Do you feel you are? Mm, I'll try to be present in the moment. I've noticed that over, I've been really fascinated with this particular line of um, conversation with uh, musicians, uh, particularly in the last couple episodes we've done, because I feel myself being very fascinated with like, because I've been around musicians up and since I was like 17, mm-hmm. um, 27 now, it's been like a big fixture in my life. Wow, that sounds weird to say, 17 to 27, <laughs> Jesus. And like, I have noticed throughout the years how it could be a difficult thing for musicians to feel present, just in the context of like how your lives are. Mm. So it's good that you see the importance of that. Yeah. I think it's a tricky thing, no matter what your profession is. But especially because you're always going away and coming back and going away and coming back and going away. And there's, there's um, sometimes when I've been completely groundless and had no you know, real sense of home or, or um, anything like that, going on, or routine, going on tour is like the biggest relief because then you finally get that routine. And it, it kind of scares me sometimes when I come home and it's like, I don't know what to do with myself today. And you would wake up and you'd be like, I don't know what to do. And you'd have to decide, okay, I'm going to go get coffee. And I'm going to go see if this person wants to get to you. I'm going to go try work on something. And it's like, you start, you suddenly are responsible for your time. And you almost, it doesn't feel natural anymore. No, Because you've doesn't. been away on such a routine and you're like, okay, five o'clock, I've got to go be this place. Or like the entire day takes, you know, you have to be traveling, you have to take a flight or whatever. It's like a schedule and everything's to, to a certain grid. Um, and, that, and that's kind of weird, I think. I yeah. think people maybe struggle with that. I struggle with that, definitely. 
Um, Speaking of, though, I think you have a tour coming up in a couple of weeks, right? Um, I'm just going away for a few days to support a group called Hundred Waters. Oh, yeah. Um, in the UK. Oh, they're great. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. Weren't you just in the UK for your own shows? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. You have to go back so soon. It's, uh, well, it was, this was a last minute edition, and I was going to Iceland anyway for Iceland Airways. Yeah. So it was okay for me to add it um, before, and I'm going to go to Berlin as well for a few days. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I actually want to ask you about Iceland Airways, because I think I noticed that you are curating, or you're part of the curation of a mm-hmm. show that's going on, right? Yeah, it's an off-menu um, at a place called Loft Hostel, um, and then the line of Best Fit, they asked me to um, to curate, or to kind of put together a lineup that, you know, that I wanted, to said you could do whatever you want. And, uh, and I it's not the best thing to be told. It's so much fun. It's also a little bit tricky because I didn't want it to be, you know, I wanted it to be kind of cohesive, to have a theme, and I wanted it to um, to also represent something that is special to me. And then I, I kind of reached out to a few people and ended up with a lineup that I think is really beautiful. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be nice. That's amazing. Mm. Look at that. That must feel really great knowing that the things like this could come together like that. Yeah, and I like this. I like this role. I never actually taken on the role of the curator, and I think it's a, you, you approach things in a different way. How so? Um, you you just you start thinking about like you know what it means to be like where, where do you place this and this and, and who do you put next to each other and, and what do you want to present to the the audience or you know. And probably people's reactions as well, like how people might react to certain different yeah. things. Yeah, it's it's a fun job. I I definitely appreciate to have have that. You know, touching on live stuff, I remember a couple months ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, but I remember I saw a performance you did for Boiler Room Mm. in uh, your home city, Mm -hmm. and uh, that was a really, um, for people listening, it's on YouTube, you can find us, and I thought it was really interesting, because it's like you, and I I think it's your sister, Mm -hmm. it's your sister, right? It's both Mm -hmm. of you, like pretty much in what looks like a backyard porch bit, like like wood (laughs) and all that. I know, it's such a horrible setting. Yeah, 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 but what blows me away is that, like... Because when I listen to songs like White Sun, Destiny is Upon Us, um, all of Brazil really, I feel like your songs have this ability to pull me in where I don't hear anything else. Mm. And it's amazing seeing your music within that setting where it's outside, there's like people surrounding mm. you. It's, it seems like a very casual vibe. And it feels like that, that, was, what go, that was what was going on there. Like, mm. Do you remember that performance? Like that I do. I, I was quite happy with that performance because I was, um, I got both... Um, my sister, who used to play with me in Pascal Pinon, and Ausle, who um, plays in Samaras, yeah. uh, to, to be in my band. Plus then my friend Albert, who's been my main kind of session player in JFDR. So I had this like really nice kind of angle where I was connecting it to Samaras and connecting it to Pascal Pinon. And also in a way kind of confusing people who know all those groups and then suddenly have this like, like everyone's there together. Um, and I thought that was I thought that was great. It was um, the first time I did this kind of more electronic um, live set. I had always just been like playing guitar and whatever, and this was one of this was kind of presenting a different, like more more um, kind of textural, which also really connects to the record. I think it's it, textures is a big part of it, um, and I hadn't really tri- I had not tried to like get that into the live sound until that point. So I thought that was really good. Do you feel like when you were performing that, I mean, of course I only saw it on video, but it did feel like people were very attentive 
Was it? Did it feel that way when you were there? It was good. There, there was also some moments of awkwardness. <laughs> was there? Yes, there was. I feel like you're dancing around that. Like you want to, you want to touch on that. What awkwardness? It was just an awkward. It was early in the evening and people were there to see. I mean, also boiler room. You know, bless them. They're wonderful in so many ways. But also, and the guys who were running this event, you know, they did an incredible job. But it's the people that go there. They're often there because they know that this is going to be on TV, or like you know, they yeah. know that it's going to. And it's then like they, a thing. It's a thing, and yeah. it attracts a certain type of person. And it's like people that were there early, they were maybe not necessarily there to listen to JFTR, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like you have to get a ticket, and it's like you have to be, you have to send an email, and you get selected, and then, as is with Iceland, people never show up on time. Everyone shows up <laughs> real late. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually did not know that. I would love to hear more secrets about Iceland. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, you'll find out. I'll find out. Yeah, hopefully I go someday. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. You know, I really, because you were just in Europe, and I'm sure you've been in Europe before, I really want to ask particularly about Scandinavia. I've mm. lived in Sweden before. I love that part of the world very much. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you've played shows there, right? Yeah. Well, do you feel like the shows there felt different anyway? Because I could see Scandinavian people taking to the really world. Scandinavia is hard because they have so much of their own music that is great. Um, and they don't necessarily care so much for international artists, for some reason. Um, some, obviously some people embrace it, but, you know, I think um, it's good to tour there, but at the same time, it's not great. There are better places to tour. Yeah. <laughs> and people that are very awkward, especially in Sweden. Do you find it a similar, because I've done some tours before, and I felt like, for certain bands and musicians, Scandinavia and like Holland and Belgium could be pretty tough. Belgium's no. really good, actually. Belgium has a good response. Belgium is great. Yeah. Switzerland is yeah. great. Holland could be a bit tough, though, in terms of like, mm, has to yeah. be the right, the yeah. right booking, kind of. Yeah, but I've seen people do really well. Yeah. And you can get, but I mean, I'm generalizing. Of course, this is all. <laughs> We're bullshit. all generalizing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't actually mean anything. Swiss, Belgian, uh, Swedish, uh, Dutch people, I love you. We all love you if you're listening. <laughs> I love all of them. Not all of them. <laughs> Tell me this before I let you go, because um, I brought up your Instagram account, which people should follow because it's really nice. Yay. And um, I remember a couple of months ago, you put up photos where you were in a studio, I think with your sister as well. Mm, yeah, we yeah. were doing these string recordings. I was going to ask what that was about. Yeah. Um, it's just an idea that I had. My friend, um, I got him to do some some string arrangements for a live show yeah, yeah. And, um, and he did such a beautiful job and he was so kind and he did it for me as a favor and then I That's wanted amazing. to kind of pay, well, I kind of wanted to honor how, what an incredible job he did and, or, you know, intricate and very, very, um, yeah, very fitting and um, so I, I kind of, I was able to, to scrap together a little bit of a budget to, um, to go to the studio and record them. That and then amazing. It was wonderful. Um, yeah. And it was all recorded live. And I think it's going to come out next year as a kind of, because um, I have a few more of these sessions I've done in the past yeah. where I've gotten musicians to come together to the studio and just do kind of live versions of, of my music. And, and, and then we, you know, we would tweak it a little bit or whatever in the studio. But um, mostly just live, everyone playing together. Um, and I want to release it next year as a kind of a series of, of uh, live in the studio recordings of JFTR stuff, like yeah. limited edition stuff. So it'll, yeah. it'll come out soon, but um, That's really it's, good it's, to hear. I'm, a, I'm a little bit stuck with it, with um, the mixes. 
but we're working on it. Well, tell me this as well, because you touched on this a little bit in this talk, and you mentioned it before we even hit the recorder, but you're, part of you being in New York is that you're still writing and you're making new music, so there will mm -hmm. be more GFDR music coming out, maybe even a second yeah. album. Yeah, yeah. How does it feel knowing that? Because does that surprise you at all? No, 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 no. <laughs> Not at all. Really? I've been, it's been, yeah, it's, I think the, for the first few songs I was making for this record, it's been two years or something since I started. Yeah. Um, like right around the time when we were finishing Brazil, which was 2016. Um, I was already making new songs, and then some of them are very recent, some of them are from that time. And um, it's a different process. Because, you know, obviously, you know, Brazil was being recorded as it was being written, and this is different because I've written all the songs, 15, 20 songs, and choose from them. And I need to find time to go to the studio and, and work and do them. And it's a little bit scary. Is part of that it being scary? Like, I just feel by virtue of how music is made, you know going in that some of these songs are going to change and be in completely different things when you mm -hmm. get into the studio. Yeah. Does that ever feel scary, like that aspect of yeah. it? Yeah. That's the same thing I was talking about with Pascal Pino. It's like making something that you have in your mind a vision for and then things always end up being different. And maybe one of the best things with Brazil um, was that I had no idea what it was going to be like, ever. And everything was new and everything was allowed. And now you're suddenly facing, I want to have a more open relationship with this new album where I allow things to happen, but I need to have, I need to make decisions and I need to say, I want this to sound like this and I want this to be like this. And this is, this is who I think should work on it. Because Shazad's not doing it for me. No one is doing it for me. And it's like, it's not this kind of floaty thing that just comes together and happens. Yeah. It's like, you want to do a record, you want to do it in this time, you need to make your mind, make up your mind about how you want it to be. Wow, that's great that you have that, I mean, I want to say bravery, but that's not the right word. It feels just like... No, a, I hate it. You no, know, yeah. <laughs> I wish that someone else would decide for me, but that's not possible. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, it's just like... I'm fascinated by what people allow and disallow themselves to do, and I feel like having that type of um, vigor towards your vision, hmm. it seems like the type of thing that everyone kind of, I feel like a lot of people look at artists and they just assume that we have this innate aspect of what our visions are, mm -hmm. but I feel like a lot of it in um, execution is really fighting for it, mm -hmm. and being able to stand by your vision is like, no, this is what I need it to be. Mm -hmm. Some people are really good at that. Um, and they have a real clear Well, considering how Brazil came out, I think it's fair to say you're good at it too. Maybe. Maybe I'm better at it than I, th than I make it sound. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it's confrontational. You I'm know, you're confronted <laughs> with um, yourself and your... People can't see you now, so they can't see the very funny face you're making. I say confrontational. <laughs> it's, uh, it is what it is. Wow. I can't wait for people to hear this. Like... Like, because I, I guess when I said surprise earlier, like if it surprises you, when you were describing how Brazil was made and everything that went into it, I could imagine when you're making this, it would feel like such a specific place in time mm -hmm. that you would almost think that, like, I think it would make sense if you were to think, like, I don't know if I could carry on as JFDR, but I feel like now you found yourself thinking, like, no, this is actually who I want to be in regards to creative output. It's a comfortable way for me to work because, you know, it's a lot of freedom. And I like that right now. Oh, that's important. Well, yeah. thanks for the chat. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you for the time. Our
take what we need. 